What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family... Look for delicious Kroger brand products because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah! And some waves, so we could go surfing. Oh, <laughs> ah, love that! A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in! Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it! Um, can a girl go shopping? Yeah, baby! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Welcome to Forward Thinking. Hey there, everyone, and welcome to Forward Thinking, the podcast that looks at the future and says, Trash, go pick it up. Don't take your life away. I'm Jonathan Strickland. I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And I'm Joe McCormick. Today, we're going to talk about waste disposal, the future of it, the current situation, and what happens to all that garbage that we generate. Uh, if you listened to our last episode, we talked a little bit about recycling. Today, we're going to talk about other stuff. We're going to talk about landfills, for example. That's a good place to start because that's where a lot of our garbage ends up. A whole bunch of it. Lots and lots of it. Well, well let's talk trash. Uh, it, it actually peaked in the 1980s, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. In fact, uh, we've gotten better at reducing the amount of garbage that goes to landfills, although you know, you could argue that the amount continues to increase, but it kind of increases with population. If you look at a, as a, from a per person perspective, it's going down. Um, but according to the New York Times, New York City alone sends about 10,500 tons of residential garbage to landfills every day. Wow. Per day. Now, <clears throat> let me think about that a little bit because New York City, that's not a place where you can just easily, oh, you know, about a mile away, you can. Yeah, those landfills aren't you... located in New York at all. Not New York State, not the Northeast. Oh, wow. No, what, they're located really? in Ohio and South Carolina. What? Yeah, they're shipping the garbage to Ohio and South Carolina Speaking because. As a former resident of Ohio. Hey. <laughs> Hell, you know, I kind of don't believe you. What? It's high on the middle and Owen. And I mean, I knew, I know there's not like a <laughs> landfill in the middle of Manhattan, but what? Yeah. Well, here's the thing is that with landfills, there is a fee associated with throwing garbage into landfills. It's not like there's just a hole that we dump garbage into and then we just stroll away merrily whistling a happy tune. Probably for most of us. <laughs> Some of you out there may have a very different experience. But in general, landfills are operated by private companies. Mm -hmm. And these private companies charge what is called a tipping fee 
Yeah. You, uh, so y'all, have y'all ever been to a landfill? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I had to they go there once. They get excited about them in Florida for school field trips. Yeah. I, I was helping somebody uh, remodel a bathroom and we had all this just junk, you know, from a smashed up tub and stuff in the back of a truck. And we're like, well, we got to take it to the landfill. I had no idea how this worked, but you, yeah, you pull up and they weigh your truck and you go in, you dump it out and then you pay when you're leaving. Right. Yeah. They weigh they you re-weigh. again to make sure to see how much the, the trash weighed that you dumped in there. Uh, in general, the, the tipping fees tend to be per ton. So on a individual basis like that, it would be pretty minor. But for industri- industrial use, municipal use, like if it's a city that's that's dumping tons and tons, like New York City, tons of garbage, that racks up pretty quickly. So on average in the United States, <clears throat> that tends to be between thirty and forty dollars per ton. In the Northeast, that's closer to between seventy and eighty dollars per ton. It's just landfill space there is is at a premium. They're very few. And they are very expensive. So uh, it sometimes makes more sense, economically speaking, to pay to have your garbage, the stuff you do not want, to be carried a very long way away to be dumped in someone else's hole. So <laughs> that's the case with New York City. They're paying, you know, the, the shipping charges and the tipping fees together are still less than it would uh, cost them if they were dumping the garbage closer to home. Now, according to Popular Mechanics, they they published a whole uh, uh, article about landfills and uh, myths and misconceptions about landfills and recycling as well. Mm -hmm. They said that uh, the United States has about 20 years of disposal capacity left in existing landfills. What year was this? This was uh, 2008. And so they said that there were some places where space was getting a little tight. Uh, Those spaces... (laughs) One of them, Alaska, which considering <laughs> that's a huge state, but there's very limited uh, landfill space. Uh, Connecticut, Delaware, North Carolina, New Hampshire, and Rhode Island all have less than five years capacity, which obviously must have changed since then because that now it's five years later. Right. Uh, but the northeastern part of the country in general has the least available landfill space, which is why that stuff's getting shipped down to other landfills. I assume that, yeah, that means if they don't take their trash to Texas or whatever. Right. Well, and... While the number of U.S. landfills has steadily declined, the average size of the landfills in the United States has actually grown. So not just saying that the piles of trash are getting taller Sarah Cynthia Sylvia Stout style, just throwing my little Shell Silverstein uh-huh. reference in there, but uh, but that the, the, the land that's granted to the landfill is, is growing as well. Now, in the United States... Uh, we have, and, and a lot of this discussion is going to be about the the U.S., but in the United States, we have lots and lots of land. I mean, it's a huge country. Yeah. So, so w- it's not actually that we don't have land to dump trash in. It's that you don't have appropriate land close enough. Right. And also that you have communities that resist having something yeah. like a landfill put in. Now, you know, landfills are a means of... Uh, creating some jobs, though not a whole lot of them, and also pulling in some money, though, for mostly a private organization that's running the landfill. Uh, but most communities look down upon it. It's not something that adds value to a community, generally speaking. So oh, there's well, usually I mean, resistance. They, they, they're not especially fragrant in a good way. No, no. <laughs> And no, uh, they they have a they can have a distinct they tend to, odor. they tend to draw like verminous animals too yeah, right yeah no, yes they do tend to do that so um, what ends up in a landfill uh, it's municipal solid waste which is made up of the things we tend to use and then throw away that includes everything from packaging food waste uh, old furniture electronic waste tires grass clippings etc. Um, it does not, however, include industrial hazardous or construction waste. That's outside of municipal solid waste. And according to the EPA, the United States generated about 250 million tons of solid waste. You may have heard that figure when we were talking about it back in our previous podcast. And uh, that was back in 2011. That was the most recent report we were able to get information from. Uh, and then, uh, on average, Americans recycled and composted about 1.53 pounds of individual waste generation per day. But we generate about 4.4 pounds of waste. So we're generating 4.4, 4, 
we're reclaiming 1.53, the rest of that gets thrown away, which is more than half of it. Um, and uh, that stuff either ends up going to a landfill or a in a few places, it may go to an incinerator, but we'll talk about the incinerator in a second. So about 53.6% of all the garbage in the United States ends up in landfills. And, uh, you know, some of that's problematic. Like anything that's organic is going to give off certain gases that tend to be a little troublesome, like methane. If you have a lot of organic material all sitting together and it's just uh, piling up, It'll give off methane, which is a, a greenhouse gas and can affect... Through uh, decomposition. Yeah. It, as it decomposes, it'll give off methane. Obviously, if you were to burn it, that would cause uh, other issues. Other toxins would be emitted as well mm-hmm. as uh, greenhouse gases like carbon dioxide would, would be a byproduct. As, uh, as some of the chemicals and plastics, well, not that the plastics break down, but as some of the, the, the chemicals start reacting with each other, you wind up with this uh, toxic soup stuff called a, a leachate. Is, yeah. that, is that how you say yeah, that? You don't wanna, oh, yeah. You don't want that to get into your water table, for example. Right, right. It can wind up right penetrating uh, down through the soil and getting into the water table and causing bad news for everyone around. Yeah, yeah it's bad, bad stuff. So landfills in general are looked down upon. They're seen as... You know, it, it's a temporary solution, really. It's just getting stuff out of sight so that you don't have to think about them anymore. Though, let me stick up for landfills in a way for a second here. I mean, there's always going to be at least some small amount of garbage that you can't really do anything else good with. We can't reuse or recycle in any way. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, no, there's going to be some stuff that we are going to encounter that uh, we cannot reclaim and we cannot, you know, put to some other use. And I mean, that's just a fact of life. But the question is, what percentage of the stuff we're throwing away is that? Right. And it's it's a much smaller percentage than the amount of stuff that's actually ending up in landfills. Absolutely. Now, I, I'm just pointing out that I think uh, if we're we're talking down on landfills in a bit, that the goal should be reducing use right. of them, not right. saying like we should live in a world where there's no garbage. Yeah, that's that's unrealistic. Yeah. Uh, although although part of the problem I think right now is the manufacturing processes that are leading to uh, to to waste materials that we have a difficulty post-processing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so, so part of the change is going to need to be our manufacturing. Right. Yeah. Creating packaging materials that can actually be broken down in an easy way mm-hmm. and, and sorted in an easy way. If you listen to our recycling podcast, then you know that one of the, the challenges is really the sorting process and making sure that the uh, the materials that are going into a recycling plant are actually recyclable. Mm-hmm. Uh, in in other countries, um, some of this burden has been pushed onto the manufacturers already. In fact, in in 1991 in Germany, um, they they set out a legal precedent that really made it the uh, job of the manufacturers to figure out how to deal with all of that. And uh, and and they created a coalition that has since created a national uh, recycling program, which is pretty nifty. Would you guys like to know what what stuff makes up by percentage our municipal solid waste please <laughs> just all right oh so how much how i gotta much, know how much of a percentage do you think paper and paperboard make out of all the municipal solid waste a uh, lot a, a, a thousand a thousand percent <laughs> no okay how much 28 percent. okay jackass <laughs> how, much, how much food waste how much food waste? So paper and paperboard's uh, okay. about 28%. How much about food waste? Um, 35%. So close. 28%. So it's exactly the same. It's going to go down from here. So okay. don't go over 28. Plastic would be about 13%. Metals are about 9%. And then you have uh, rubber, leather, and textiles, which make up 8% or a fun Saturday night. Uh, wood is about <laughs> 6%. And glass is about five percent. So that's that's just the general makeup of the organic materials and and other materials that you find in municipal solid waste. Now we did talk a lot about recycling in that last podcast, and we covered pretty much everything except uh. Well, there's there was... there's some really creative recycling going on. Oh yeah, yeah. Some some dark recycling. Ooh, what? some criminal recycling. Wow. No way. Are you talking <laughs> Tony Soprano? Like, like, uh, like, like these recycling bins fell out of the back of a truck. I, I don't think it's it's as organized as they talk about in in some some movies and television. Oh, good but unorganized crime. Unorganized favorite. crime is much better. Yes. Um. But uh. See. See. The thing is, is that um. The prices for for metals like copper, 
are skyrocketing. Sure. Partially due to the electronics industry. Right. Um, and, and just all of the other industrial uses that we are finding for these I terrific things. I think I see where you're going here. So, um, you know, you've, you, you wind up having people stealing things like the bleachers out of football fields. Right. Um, and selling them for scrap. Or breaking into, uh, an, a, a, an unoccupied house in order to steal the copper wiring. Stripping out the pipes. old copper white, yeah. wiring or pipes, sure. Or, um, uh, Getting the catalytic converter out of a car and selling that for scrap. Lauren, you're going to have to slow down. I'm writing these down for things to help supplement <laughs> my income and you're going too fast. Um, and and you know, kind of the sad thing about this is is that when you sell something for scrap, you're not going to get very much of it. You know, a, a set of bleachers, for example, is going to cost several thousand dollars. You're going to get about 600 for it. Yeah. Um, a catalytic converter is going to cost about 2000 bucks to put in your car. It'll get you about 120 at the scrap heap. Yeah, as it turns um, out, the the I mean, if you're stealing it, then you didn't spend any money into this this in the first place. But well, no, I imagine a stealing enterprise, you got to invest in that like any other business. For, I for, mean, for, so you need marketing. To, I mean, for, for, for bleachers, a, I mean, there's manpower and trucks involved in taking those yeah. away. There was an artist named Henry Moore, a sculptor who was very. Uh, prolific in the 60s through the 80s about and um, made these gorgeous, giant, weird metal sculptures. Um, one of them, uh, one of his reclining figure series was two tons in weight, about about 5,000 pounds in weight, um, worth three million pounds in money. Uh, British British fellow. So, right. um, so Pound sterling. Pound sterling, right. And was stolen using a crane and a truck. And melted down, they suspect, for 1,500 pounds of yeah, sterling. That doesn't even seem worth it. That's a lot of a effort. Crane? They a, need I a mean, crane? It's got to cost a whole lot to rent a crane. A, a, apparently Maybe less they stole than 1,500 pounds oh, sterling. Okay. So. Yeah, you know. You can't can't just assume that they it's, got the crane on the. It's up like up. The, those kids, you know, who like they would cheat on tests in school, but they were like working way harder on the cheating scheme than, than it, it would actually take to, take study. to study. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Well, it's... that's the dark side, I guess. Uh, <laughs> let's let's talk about. Well, let's continue well, the dark side here. But there are there are things that people are doing about this. There's um uh, the Institute of Scrap Recycling Industries here in the United States, which is a um a, a large organization of. Uh, Companies that are working towards being more efficient with our resources have a theft alert system in which if someone, for example, steals your um, uh, $5 million statue, uh, you can call them and say, hey, be on the lookout for this. Um, scrap programs. We'd I, like that back. Yeah, huh. I, I wonder. I mean, should should there be suspicion to begin with if somebody shows up with a pickup truck full of pipes or do people often sell their own pipes? <laughs> Uh, I think I think it happens in post uh, construction projects. Like if if you're if you're um, uh, scrapping a house except for the foundation or something. No, if you um, show up with yeah. like a it's famous not... sculpture in the back of your truck, there <laughs> I mean, might be some eyebrows. Yeah, raised, if, if, yeah, if you show up with a truck full of pipes and maybe you know a lot of meth paraphernalia, someone should be watching out. But but they, they people, wow. people people do suspect that um that the drug addicts are the largest portion of people who are. Who I gotcha. Are doing this. I yeah. gotcha. Oh, that makes hey, sense because desperation would right. could drive you to that mm-hmm. sort of thing. Uh, uh, if you'll listen to our previous podcast, we don't spend the whole time painting recycling with the <laughs> drug crime brush. So no, no, uh, we're, no. we're pro recycling here. Yeah, we are. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> we're pro recycling, but we're anti uh, steal that thing that yeah. was meant for one purpose, so that you can make a you know Melt penny, it down. pennies on the dollar. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about another way of dealing with trash, which is burning it. That's uh, you're all yeah here in the south. That used to happen in like a big metal oil drum like I, I remember people uh in my my grandparents neighborhood who would occasionally burn parts of their garbage um sure because you know, i mean this meant this was a place where they didn't have any sort of curbside pickup you had to haul your garbage out to a dump mm-hmm. so i mean that totally makes sense right because when you burn something all of its mass disappears it goes away <laughs> completely so and so, smells wintry fresh. You can tell already from the snark emanating from the other two microphones that uh, this is not necessarily the best idea, depending upon your facility. Now, that, that being said, I need to get this out of the way first. There are incinerator facilities out there that use very sophisticated methods to scrub and capture all the toxic materials that are released from burning garbage. And then they're using the actual burning, the incinerating of the garbage as a means of generating energy, I generating hope power. So. 
Well, you know, it's not just burning. Like, yeah. You could imagine an incinerator that the only purpose for it was just to get rid of garbage, but that's not the case. I don't or think that's unheard of. characters no. from Toy Story. Right, right. Mm-hmm. It's it's a plot device to make you more emotionally invested in some 3D animated characters. Uh, no, it's usually part of an energy plant of some sort. that They're trying to reclaim energy. Uh, essentially, you're reclaiming some of the energy that was used to make those products by converting it back into uh, – to uh, well, really, you're just applying heat, and then usually you're converting water into steam to turn steam turbines. But uh, there are other methods as well, and we'll talk about one of them in a little bit, but uh, because of the definition of what incinerating is. So a lot of incinerators use combustion. That's where you're you know, burning trash. You're actually literally burning it in the uh, – in, you're having oxygen inside the environment. You're setting fire to stuff. Uh, and, uh, you know, in the old – incinerators in the United States, and most of the incinerators in the United States are old. There haven't been a lot of new ones made recently. Uh, there weren't a whole lot of filter systems that would capture a lot of the toxic materials that would be released. So stuff would get released into the environment, uh, whether it was through <laughs> gases or through the fly ash, which is really dangerous stuff. Fly ash is the ash that's left over after you have burned your, your trash and it can contain concentrated amounts of toxic material in it. Take yeah, a like, nice deep breath of diaper and bleach. Mm-hmm, yeah. Well, yeah, and and chlorine and mercury yeah. and like all other stuff that's really 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 bad for you, like deadly for you. And to the point where, you know, the the disposing of that is its own industry where the the ash from these incinerators is so toxic that it has to be stored in special containers and dumped in toxic waste areas. Um, th- nasty, nasty stuff. I mean, you can talk about byproducts like hydrochloric acid, sulfur dioxide, nitrogen oxide, dioxins, and furans. These are deadly materials. Now, like I said, in the United States, there weren't a whole lot of incinerators that could handle this in a safe way. In Europe, it's a totally different story. In Europe, they have incinerators that are designed to capture and scrub all of this stuff to make it either useful or inert. So they're generating energy from their garbage. It's not necessarily the most efficient way of doing it, but it's a way of dealing with the garbage and reclaiming some of the energy that was used to produce the products in the first place. And they're trying their best to make sure that any kind of emissions are well below the safety standards of whatever mm-hmm. particular nation they are, or if they're in the European Union, et cetera. In the United States, again, not that many incinerators here. Um, but there are people who are trying to build more of them. And some of them don't fit into the definition of incinerator as far as combustion goes. Incinerators, it turns out, in the, the definition is applying thermal energy to garbage in order to treat it and reclaim energy in some form. Uh, so in that case, one of the things we'll be talking about in a second, which are plasma converters, are actually, they fall on, in this realm of incinerator under that definition. Even but though, they're very much more efficient. And they're not burning so much right. as applying huge amounts of energy to break down molecular bonds. But we'll we'll chat about that in a second. Uh, before we get to that, let's talk about another way. We've talked about recycling. We've talked about stuff going to the landfill. One thing we haven't really touched on is uh, something that another way of dealing with some garbage, especially organic material, specifically organic material, uh, it, that has a lot of attention in some parts of the world. Uh, in the United States, for example, uh, in San Francisco, there are a lot of people. In fact, I think it's municipally mandated that you mm-hmm. that you do this, but it's not here in Atlanta. We don't have this, but it's composting or for my friends in the UK composting <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, this this is a this is a, a process that uses the natural organic decomposition of, uh, of of materials by microorganisms and um i you know basically all, all you're doing is is mixing some nitrogen heavy materials you know um, um grass or food products um with uh carbon heavy materials like dry leaves or wood chips or something like that um, in in the right balance, um, you wanna you wanna process them, you know, shred them in some way so that the um, microorganisms are going to have a better surface area to to work off of. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, make sure you've got enough air in them so that they can so that the the critters can breathe. Right. Um, enough. So it's aerobic, not anaerobic. Aerobic, not anaerobic. Correct. Thank you. Um, uh, enough water for them to survive, and uh, 
uh, around at the right temperature for them to do their thing. And um, it's it's a it's a layering process that that speeds decomposition uh, at, at at the right rate to create a, a mulch or a hummus that you can then use to um to to fertilize other stuff or for cool. or for many other purposes. Right. So so this is a this is a way of generating something that's useful while getting rid of you know organic garbage, uh, and uh, and like I said, there are certain areas of the United States that are very much uh, savvy about this. Like that, it's part of the daily existence of living in that place. Yeah, there are actually some places um, that are trying to become what's now being called zero waste cities. Now that's kind of a misnomer. Uh-huh. Um, because, because again, we're, we don't really have the technology to yeah. do zero waste right now. <laughs> yeah. So uh, sort of what's going on here is these cities are saying like, well, if we can divert not 90% of waste from landfills, we'll just say it's zero. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> that's still, close enough mathematically. Zero ish. So, so it's, uh, yeah, it's zero ish. It's not exactly true, but it's still pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, I read a, uh, a Wall Street Journal blog about this from a couple years ago. I think it's from September 2011, and it was talking about, uh, San Francisco was the big one. Mm-hmm. And at the time, they were, they had made it able to divert 77% of all of their municipal solid waste from landfills. And they did this with a combination of recycling and composting. And when you think about it, if you put those together, that takes care of most of your garbage. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, if you can do plastic, aluminum, paper products, uh, steel, um, glass, and then food, what have you got left? You know, just like nasty stuff, basically. Right. <laughs> um, so, yeah, there is a waste management uh, company called uh, Recology in... Uh, San Francisco, and that's not like reek, like stinkology. It's like mm-hmm. REC. Gotcha. So like, so reclaiming. Yeah. Right. Reclaiming. Or recovering. Sure. Um, and the way they've got it set up in San Francisco is, uh, you've you've got three bins basically, and so you've got a black bin that is just stuff that has to go to the landfill. Landfill. Mm-hmm. You right. can't do anything about it. You've got a green bin, and that's for composting, and so that'd be like food scraps, plants, organic material, uh, uh, lawn or trimmings like, if you have yeah, that kind of thing, uh, like napkins that are with, uh, soiled with food products. Um, but those are biodegradable also. Mm-hmm. And then you've got a blue one that's for mixed recyclables. Gotcha. Um, and so by putting all this together, and by like a, they had like a strong public awareness campaign, and they make people pay for the trash they throw away, mm-hmm. hmm. uh, but not for the stuff they recycle. So it and gives a monetary incentive to recycle and compost, and, and or if you prefer, a disincentive to yeah. throw stuff away. Yeah, everything you put in the black bin that you could have put in one of the other bins, you're losing money on. Gotcha. Um, so yeah, so that's a strong incentive. and So uh, it'll either encourage recycling and composting or encourage hoarding. Uh, but if you put the wrong stuff in the wrong bin, apparently you can get an angry visit from the city. Right. <laughs> so, Actually, so, maybe some, not so some much goons show up. Maybe and, not so much you know. angry as gently reminding you what each bin is for. <laughs> sure. <laughs> in um, your kneecaps. No, I'm just sure. Gently I'm sure. reminding you in the kneecaps. I'm sure not. Yeah, and so I uh, th- that was 77%. There's also there are other cities like Seattle that they're diverting more than half of all of their uh, garbage from landfills. Cool. Um, so some researchers are also figuring out really cool ways to use things like composting um, for, for greater um, ecological impact. Um, there, there's a oh, process yeah. called uh, compost bioremediation. Um, and, and this refers to a process of using composting in the microorganisms that it involves to, um, to clean out toxic soils or environments um these organisms will will consume these contaminants and and wind up turning them into into this this great earthy soil called hummus and uh inert byproducts like like carbon dioxide water and salts and they can process uh such things as chlorinated and non-chlorinated hydrocarbons wood preserving chemicals solvents heavy metals pesticides uh petroleum products and even explosives 
So, so uh, grounds that have had this problem can be composted, basically, and, and reclaimed. Cleaned. Reclaimed. Yeah. Composting. Guitar squeal. You're all. Mm-hmm. Uh, Not that kind of heavy metal. But, <laughs> but uh, yeah, like so, compost collected in cities can be really useful for local agriculture. Sure. Think of in a normal when you send all your banana peels to a landfill. I mean, that, that's kind of a slap in the face to the farmers nearby. Yeah, who could that's be perfectly good. Getting... Who could be slipping on banana peels till the cows come home. Yeah. And then the cows could start slipping on banana peels. But farmers love slipping on banana peels. Good to know. All right, let's talk about plasma converters, <laughs> plasma waste converters. So uh, we've talked about this before. The idea here, it's and this falls into the incinerator category, even though it's not combustion. The idea is to uh, apply a high-voltage uh, electric arc to garbage, which re- causes it to do one of two things. If it's if it's organic, if it's carbon-based, it gasifies, turns into a gas, which you then vent off and you cool through a very um, extensive process because that, that gas is super hot when it's escaping. So you have to cool it down. After you cool it down, and, and you can actually make it do work. You can have it convert water into steam and turn steam turbines so you can reclaim some of the energy that way, obviously, you're not going to reclaim everything that way. You're going to—that's an energy sink if that's all you do with it. But then you can also um, scrub the gas. You have to do that because just like with uh, the the combustion methods, it's got nasty stuff in there. It's got a lot of nasty stuff in it. You want to get rid of that nasty stuff, so you can use special chemicals to help uh, capture all the stuff that is nasty. And convert that into uh, to something that you can then dispose of safely. Mm-hmm. Although it's still, you know, there's still some toxic material there. So it's kind of like the incinerators where you still have to find a way of, of getting rid of that stuff safely. Everything else, though, uh, can be turned into a syngas, a synthetic form of natural gas. And it burns about the same as natural gas does. So it does give off some carbon and other greenhouse gas emissions. It's not like it's perfectly clean fuel. But it does mean that you can use that syngas to not only run the facility, but if you have enough organic material in the garbage you're processing, and organic material is what makes up most of the garbage that's being sent to landfills, uh, you can actually then sell excess electricity back to a power grid. So, in other words, you can help take some of the load off of other power-generating facilities and uh, use use garbage as a way of generating electricity. The other thing that happens is the stuff that's inorganic, the non-carbon-based stuff, turns into slag, which looks like volcanic rock. It looks like the stuff you would see on the side of a volcano. It's this black, glassy, obsidian-like substance. Uh, that's if it just cools naturally by air. Like, if you just let it drain off and then cool, that's what it looks like. It can be used um, as, like, a building material, Yeah, right? you can use it as anything from aggregate, so essentially like gravel, or you can actually use it in building materials. Like, you can build, you can use it to, to help create concrete or bricks, that kind of stuff. Uh, if you cool it, if you if you were to let the slag hit water, then it would bead up and turn into this pebbly kind of material. Uh, if you were to blow compressed air through it, you would look like a maniac. <laughs> but you would also generate what's called rock wool, and rock wool is this very fluffy substance. It looks kind of like cotton, really. Uh, it's a great for insulation. It also can soak up oil while still floating on the surface of water, so you could actually use that to help with oil spills and that kind of stuff for cleaning purposes. Um, it's it's neat stuff, and the fact that you could do all of this if you co-located the plasmification, the, the gasification facility next to a power generating facility, and you did that on the site of a landfill, uh, depending upon the the capacity of the plasma waste converter, you could take in all incoming garbage and even start to mine the landfill itself. So you could, with enough time, make the landfill essentially you know, reclaim the landfill for other use. Um, now, granted, that would take decades of time, but it could happen. You would be reversing the trend of the landfill filling up mm-hmm. and making it empty out. Now, Possibly with some of that uh, compost bioremediation, you would be able to reclaim the land eventually. Yeah, yeah, it's quite possible. Uh, now, obviously, not everything would go into a plasma gasification chamber either. Anything that was metal would, you know, you'd have to sort it, kind of like we were talking about re- with recycling. You'd want to pre-sort the stuff before you put it into the furnace. So anything that was metal, you could reclaim and recycle 
in other ways so that you didn't just have it melt down with as part of the slag. Uh, and then you would grind all that garbage up. You'd have, a, you'd have grinders that would turn it into smaller pieces, and then that's what the plasma torch would then make break apart, molecularly speaking. It actually breaks the molecular bonds. It's pouring so much energy into that material. That it ionizes? Yeah. It, well, it, it just it, the, the, the bonds that hold it together, the actual chemical bonds that would normally keep the stuff in whatever form it's in, break apart, and you get these various elements all turning into either gas or, like I said, a, a molten slag. So that's your basic uh, plasma converter approach. There are a few facilities. There's actually one that is being proposed here in the United States that could take, I think, 400 tons per day of uh, plasma gasification. This comes to me as of, like, 30 seconds before I started talking, I got an email from uh, Dr. Louis uh, Circio, who is an expert on plasma converters. He's one of the guys who actually kind of pioneered this technology, um, and he works at the at Georgia Tech. And I actually emailed him earlier today, and he just got back to me. I was just reading the email before we started uh, chatting, which is kind of cool. Very cool, yeah. Um, so uh, there are a few facilities. Most of them are in Japan. It's just a couple of them. Uh, and there are, like I said, there are other problems, just like with incinerators. You still have some byproducts you have to worry about, but uh, it's you, you measure that against the impact of landfills, and then you have to decide whether or not it makes sense economically and environmentally. Mm-hmm. Um, but what about other solutions to our, our garbage problem? I got an idea. <laughs> this solves everything. Okay, we've talked about landfills and recycling and composting and et cetera, blah, 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 blah. Why don't we just shoot it into space, right? I mean, that's like the easy way. We just I mean, shoot space it into space. goes forever. You just yeah. aim it at the sun, and uh, Star Trek uh, Generations teaches us that a rocket can reach the sun like in thirty seconds. So you sound like a man who's seen the movie Superman Four. Ah, yes, the quest for peace. Yeah, yeah. you can. Uh, inst- in that case, it was nuclear weapons we were throwing into the sun. But why stop there? Let's just throw all of our garbage into the sun. And the, I mean, it's like a giant plasma. Yeah, it, in fact, it is a giant plasma. Joe, why don't we do this? Well, I mean, number one, as we've talked about before, space launches are just mega crazy expensive and resource gobbling. It, it would make absolutely no sense. It would cost $10,000 per pound of every uh, pound of garbage you put into orbit. That and that's garbage. just into orbit. So right. that would mean you'd get it far enough up to like collide with the ISS or something while it's floating around. Are you the telling Earth. me that they so would you'd not actually it? have to take it further out right. beyond our Earth orbit, which you know, if you didn't take it that far, it eventually just get sucked back into orbit, mm-hmm. right? Right. So and you'd, then have, you to, end you'd up have to really shoot it out there. You would end up with space garbage, which would end up causing potential major problems with things like satellites, the ISS, any other kind of yeah. uh, space when, exploration. When the ISS slips on a banana peel, that's... That's serious business. So when a banana peel is moving at 40,000 miles per hour, that's that's serious. Yeah, if you're going to shoot garbage into space, it would, it would probably be more economical to just bury it under diamonds. Gotcha, <laughs> gotcha. So first create a diamond mine. Yeah, and, and then, then mine all the diamonds. Underneath it. Yeah. Right. Um, uh, yeah, I can see. I can see why shooting it into space might not be the best idea. Darn it! Well, there goes, you could, there goes my Kickstarter. Yeah, you, you, know, you could just pay Tom Cruise by the hour to figure out an idea for something to do with heck, it. Heck, you could I mean, pay Johnny Depp or who's even, the highest who, paid right now? Maybe Robert Downey Jr. Out, after know. that Avengers deal. Yeah, yeah, that's some serious cash right there. So we'll we'll get Schwarzenegger on the phone. in the nineties, right? You're right. Well, I'll, I'll I'll get on the horn with uh with RDJ and see what he has to say about the whole thing. But I don't know. I think I think if we if we get together some kind of reality show about shipping garbage <laughs> to Mars, that's a little sly. <laughs> take that, Mars One. Okay, um, no, but this is actually this this does make me think of something interesting. Okay, um, so everything we've been talking about is Earthbound. Yes. Um, but there's still a garbage problem once we leave Earth, right? Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, we're still going to be generating waste. Uh, yeah. Hypothetically, I have a. <laughs> if we if we haven't gotten our gotten our stuff together to reuse absolutely everything that we, I mean, or clearly, to manufacture yeah. in a way that we so, do not well, create waste. Yeah. yeah, there's waste in space. So I was reading. Uh, there's an NBC report from 
2012, and and it uh, estimates that a four-person crew in space, I think on the ISS is what it's talking about, uses uh, about 11 pounds of waste daily. Not uses, produces. So four people produce about 11 pounds. See, that's still better than here on Earth. Oh, that's way better. Especially in the United States. We should say, like, when I quoted that 4.4 pounds of waste generated per day per person, that's in the United States. There are other places in the world that are where people generate less, much less, significantly less waste per day. I think we're behind only Japan in the amount of packaging that we use. Yeah. So, so yeah. anyway, so in space so, they're using less than the typical United States citizen. Oh, I mean, you'd have to imagine that because what is this waste? I mean, we're paying huge amounts of money to ship it up there, whatever it is. Right. Um, so we got to find out something useful to do with it. You can't let waste pile up in a pressurized cabin in orbit around the Earth, uh, if you, like your garbage can in the ISS would not only stink mightily, um, but it would probably it would be biohazard. Right. You know, it, it's just not a good idea. Um, so you need to find a way to dispose of waste in space. Uh, in the past, what they used to do with the from the ISS is, well, they'd just bag it up and make these little, like, garbage footballs duct taped up and then they'd put that back on the shuttle and the shuttle would return it to earth Um, so most expensive curbside pickup in in history yeah well no i wasn't returning just for the garbage but you know if you happen to be in the neighborhood take you swing by and pick up take these footballs of waste please uh so they used to do that but now no more shuttle uh so now you can put it in a module that basically it when it comes by it uh will take your trash away and drop it into the atmosphere so it can burn up on re-entry. Gotcha. Um, but that still means you've got all this waste hanging around on the space station until somebody can come take it away from you. Right. If you just throw it out the hatch, it will continue along in orbit with you and potentially collide with you, cause trouble like that. Right. If you launch it out real fast, it can you can meet it the other way around. It's just... You just... It's B- trouble. Bad, bad times. Yeah. yeah. Um, so there have been a lot of different ideas about what we should do with space trash. Uh, one of the interesting things I read about was this idea of uh, heat pump dehumidification drying. Um, Say what? Heat, heat pump dehumidification drying. And so what that is is say you imagine that astronauts are producing some food waste. Okay. Um, and – that is accumulating, what are you going to do with it? Well, this idea, if it worked, what it would do is put the waste in a capsule and then you blast that with hot air in a way that dehydrates the waste enough to make it bioneutral. Okay. So it, it's not going to rot. So it's not right? decomposing. Yeah. And at the same time, the dehumidification process renders excess moisture, which is gold. Oh, right. sure, says, sure. You know. You need every drop of water you can get. So that's sort of a two-in-one. Um, so you can prevent it from rotting while it's up there with you, and you can get water from it, and I guess then the idea would still be you'd have this dehydrated trash that eventually you need to cart away right. and, and throw into the, uh, the atmosphere or whatever they do with it. Um, not ideal, but the, that not would be better. somewhat of an improvement. Um, a while back... NASA experimented, the Kennedy Space Center was experimenting with this thing called uh, the Research Space Bioconverter, and that was a way of doing composting in space. Wow. Yeah, uh, and so basically the idea was they would, um, they had this big rotating drum that mm-hmm. you'd put excess biomass in, and it would allow uh, anaerobic decomposition by microorganisms that use nitrate instead gotcha. of oxygen. Huh, gotcha. Okay. Because you don't want to waste oxygen on Garbage. bacteria. Sure. Yeah. Uh, you know, you need that to breathe and all the oxygen you're giving them, you're taking away from the astronauts. So, but instead, and of course, there's some anaerobic decomposition um, that just smells nasty and having astronauts locked up in a pressurized cabin with a horrible smell is psychological torture and you don't Yuri, want to allow that really <laughs> yeah <laughs> i get you have to have the, the burritos again so charming okay <laughs> um 
<laughs> and but they but yeah these microorganisms use nitrate and so that was one idea another idea is people are trying to see if they can find a way to turn waste in space back into usable propellant or rocket fuel huh interesting uh because you think about it, a lot of organic compounds like that that you would see in food waste can easily break down to stuff like methane Mm-hmm. Which burns and mm-hmm. could be used potentially as a, a supplementary propellant. Gotcha. Um, and so that's one more idea. Interesting. But it, it is interesting that we're going to have to do something about this if we're if we're talking about uh, long term space exploration. Not so much because actually the the waste itself is more of a problem on the ISS because you're in orbit around the Earth. You don't want to launch it out. Uh, to be a problem for you to right, collide right. with satellites to, and stuff like to that. To a hazard. If, if you're flying to Mars, that's not quite as much of a problem. I mean, you could potentially just launch just litter stuff out there. Yeah, litter the solar system. And I mean, once you get on Mars, I guess yeah. you would just be littering up the planet, huh? Yeah. Well, there's a well, planet there for that. That That's a thing, too. Uh, I actually read one really smart comment is a good reason not to be littering the solar system is not to contaminate future experiments right. that are looking for signs of life. Right. So right. if we contaminate Mars or Europa with our garbage, it's entirely possible that we could create an ecosystem on these planets of bacteria by putting them there. Or or at least we could end up making it impossible for us to determine what life may have at one point or even currently existed on that that body like yeah. mm-hmm. you know, there was the the story about the curiosity rover detecting some methane and that the initial response especially in the blogosphere was mm-hmm. uh curiosity discovers signs of poten- you know, potentially signs, signs of, of life, life on mars right because methane's an organic compound right and then there were some people who cautioned and said we need to determine whether or not this methane was in fact something that pre-existed on the planet or was something that was brought along with the Curiosity rover. That was actually a contaminant that the Curiosity rover brought. Isn't that what Earth. a lot of people think now? Is that, that is in fact from? what yeah. they think. They, they said that the, the amount was so small and that there have been no further uh, detections of methane that it appears that this was in fact a contaminant from Earth. So... It's a good example is saying yeah. that, you know, if we're, if the purpose of developing a colony on Mars is primarily one to conduct scientific research, you don't want to contaminate that research by just dumping your garbage out there on the red planet. Yeah. And so, so there's the garbage problem itself. But then, uh, like we, like came up in all of these examples, whenever you're throwing stuff away, you're missing an opportunity. To reclaim right. and to reuse. Yeah, you want to try and reclaim as much of that as possible. And part of that is also about saving energy on just producing new stuff, right? It's not mm-hmm. just that you know, you're saving the environment, but if you think of it from an energy perspective, like how much energy do you have to expend in order to create the stuff you use – if you can do do that with uh, less energy by reclaiming things that otherwise you would have thrown away, then that's a long game right there. That's much better than saying, "Well, yeah, granted, we could, uh, you know, we can, we've got plenty of the raw material here. There's no scarcity issue, but it still might be an energy issue. You know, even if it's something that is easily, uh, uh, the raw materials are easy for you to get. So, for example, glass." If you can reuse or recycle the glass, even though you're not reclaiming as much energy overall by uh, recycling, mm-hmm. yeah, it's still a little bit. You know, it's still it's still better than going out and building all new stuff. So, uh, you know, from an energy pers- perspective, it's really important to crack the nut on this whole waste problem. So, even you know, beyond just the the environmental concerns, which are by no means trivial. Uh, it's important stuff. So, I mean, that's why we wanted to do a full episode on it and really look at what is the future of, of trash and garbage. And what can we, what can we do to, uh, to reduce it as much as possible and, and reclaim as much as we can. So uh, I guess that wraps us up. Does anyone have anything else they want to talk about before I, I finish? Joe? I was going to try to quote a lyric by that band Garbage, but then I couldn't remember if the lyric that was in my head was actually them. Stupid girl. All right. So, guys, <laughs> that wraps up this conversation about trash. Why don't uh, you let us know what you think? Write, write us and tell us. What do you think about the future of garbage? What, what, what would your solution be? Do you think there's something that we didn't cover that we should have 
uh, you know, taken time to, to talk about. We want to hear from you. Write us. Our email address is fwthinking at discovery.com. Or you can go to fwthinking.com. That's, of course, where you will find all the videos, the blogs, the podcasts, links to other information that's, that are all about the topics we've talked about today. And you can learn even more about this. We are excited to hear from you, and we will talk to you again really soon. For more on this topic and the future of technology, visit forwardthinking.com. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah! And some waves, so we could go surfing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, tenor girl, go shopping. Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. Are you spending more time in your basement now that it's your rec room, office, kids' playroom, or home gym? Well, you need to ventilate those spaces to remove stagnant, musty air. For over 20 years, the Easy Breathe Ventilation System exchanges dirty, damp air for cleaner, drier, healthier air. Take charge of your indoor air with your own Easy Breathe Ventilation System. You can get it installed, or DIY kits are available. Just call 866-822-7328 or visit TakeChargeOfYourAir.com and receive 20% off today.